Romans chapter 4. I've entitled this message, The Trinity of the Word. Now, I thought about that title. I thought, what does Trinity mean? We know that the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. But the doctrine of the Trinity is on every page. Uh, When God said, let us make man in our own image, when God created the heavens and the earth, the plural of God is used every time. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Trinity is on every page of the Scripture. It was interesting. I was listening to a message uh, by a man who... um, was talking about how Isaiah called Christ the everlasting father. It's something I'm going to preach on before long. And the man said, this man didn't yet understand the Trinity. Isaiah did not yet understand the Trinity. That's why he said that. And I thought, (laughs) I don't think so. Uh, David understood the Trinity, didn't he? He said, take not the Holy Spirit from me. He said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. There he mentions all three persons of the Trinity. But did you know the word of God is a Trinity? How so? Well, what is meant by the word of God? Well, first of all, the written word. The Holy Scriptures. I even love saying that. The Holy Scriptures. What is the word of God? The living word. The Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word is the gospel message. Now, the spoken word, the preached word, it is living. Not because the preacher said it, but because God the Holy Spirit blesses his own word. I think of what our Lord said in John chapter 6, verse 63, I think it is, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. This is what Paul was speaking of when he said to Timothy, Timothy, preach the word, the gospel message. So what is meant by the word? The scriptures, yes. The living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, yes. The gospel message, yes. The word from the word that reveals the word. The gospel message from the scriptures that reveal the living word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the written word. Aren't you thankful for the written word? I'm so thankful that God has given us a book where he makes himself known so we're not dependent upon men. He's given us his book. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed. That's where the life is. It's the breath of God, the living 
breath of God, the word of God said exactly as he would have it said. I love the word of God, don't you? I love the scriptures. I'm so thankful for the word of God. You know, this uh, holy gospel we uh, believe is preeminently a word from this book. Every page. And the living word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He is the word of God. Turn with me to Revelation 19 for just a moment. We have this beautiful description of the Lord Jesus. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11, John says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. What a name for our Redeemer, the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his name, on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of lords the word of god and then there's the word preached what's going on right now the word preached now the power of the word preached is not the preacher it's god's word the preacher articulates it but it's god's word listen to this scripture from first peter chapter 1 verse 23 being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. The spoken word of God, but God's word, which liveth and abideth forever. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, the gospel message, is the power of God unto Salvation. James 1.18 says, Of his own will begat he us, birthed he us, with the word, the breath of God, God breathing life into a dead sinner through the word of God. I love the way Paul said to Timothy, Preach the word. Does the Bible claim to be the inspired word of God? Holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Then preach it. Don't apologize for that. Declare it. Does the Bible declare that God is absolutely, immutably, incontestably sovereign, the first cause of everything, the cause of causes? 
then preach it. Does the word of God declare that men are dead in sins, unable to save themselves, completely dependent upon God to do something for them? Then preach it. Does the word declare that God elected a people before time began? Then preach it. Does the word declare that when Jesus Christ said it is finished, it was finished? And that by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified and he completely saved them? Then preach it. Does the word declare that salvation is by the irresistible, invincible grace of God? Grace that won't take no for an answer. Grace that gives life. Then preach it. Does the word of God declare that God's people will persevere, continuing to look to Christ only all the way to the end? Then preach it. Preach the word. And I think this gives us an inkling of what David meant in Psalm 138, verse 2. Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. The word of God. Now you could say with regard to the word of God what John said about the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one. The written Word, the living Word, and the gospel message. These three are one. They cannot be separated. Now, I love the way the writer to the Hebrews says the Word of God is quick. Now, that simply means living, living. The Word of God is living. This book is an utterly supernatural, utterly unique book. There's no book like this book. Nothing can compare to this book. It's literally God-breathed. The breath of God, the life of God is in every word The Lord Jesus Christ is quick. He's life. You know, I've heard people say, Jesus is alive and doing well. I don't like that at all. He's not alive. He's life. He's the giver of life. If you have life, it's because he gave it to you. He is life. He's the life of God. I love John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The only way, the only life I have is his life that I bring to the Father. He is life. And the gospel message, the word of God begets life. I love what our Lord said, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. The word of God, he says, secondly, it's powerful. Powerful. It's, it's, it's life. The word of God, the written word, the living word, the word preached is powerful or effectual. And here's what this means. I can give you a verse of scripture that tells how the word of God is powerful in all of these, sentence, these senses. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 55, 11. This is God speaking. He says, so shall my word be that goeth out of 
my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Now that's true with regard to the written word. But you know that's true regarding the living word. The Lord sent him, and he's going to prosper in whatever he does. And that's true of the gospel message. It never goes out in vain. God always does his will through the word preached. Now I might feel frustrated after I preached and afraid I've darkened counsel with words without knowledge. And as far as me, I'm sure it is that way. But God's word is not bound. God's word accomplishes his purpose every time. The word of God is quick. The word of God is powerful. And I like the way it says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The sword of the spirit is what? The word of God. And the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, I've already read that scripture, out of his mouth go with a sharp sword. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun that shineth in strength. Now, listen to this about this sharp sword. For the word of God is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now, what in the world does that mean? The word of God pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. All men have souls. This entire population, we all have souls. Not all men have spirits. Only the man born of God has a spirit. You remember when the Lord said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, he didn't die physically that day. His soul did not die that day, did it? But he died spiritually. And that's what spiritual death means. I don't have a spirit that can worship God. Only the spirit, a spiritual man, a man born of God can worship God. A natural man can't do it. Now, the word of God is the only thing that can divide asunder and show the difference between soul and spirit. Every believer has two natures, two separate natures. Here's the problem with that. We can't see it. Well, that was spiritual. That was holy. That was fleshly and carnal. We don't see ourselves in that light. Both the new man and the old man, the flesh and the spirit, come out of the same consciousness. And you and I don't have the ability to discern between the two. The only one who can is the word of God. It shows the difference. And we believe not what we experience, but what God's word tells us. Let me repeat that. We believe... Not what we experience, but what God's word declares to us. And the scripture is all that can divide, divide asunder and discern the difference between the soul and the spirit. 
uh, dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow that we could never discern. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now there is an old man and there is a new man. There is flesh and there is spirit. And you and I really are clueless when it comes to being able to discern the difference. Only the word of God does that. And we believe what God's word says. Only the scripture demonstrates the distinction in those two companies of armies that the Shulamite spoke of. Only the scripture can discern the I and the me, not I, but the sin that dwelleth in me. It's the new man that believes, that repents, that loves, that even confesses the sins of the old man. There is a nature that has nothing but pure thoughts and pure motives. And there is a nature that has nothing but impure thoughts and wicked motives dwelling in every believer. And it's only the word of God that can tell the difference. This two-edged sword that can divide asunder between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. And this is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, look in verse 13. Neither is there any creature that it's not manifest in his sight, the word of God's sight. The Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel message, the living gospel message that comes from the breath of God and the scriptures. There's nothing that is hid from his sight. Now, What do you see when you see yourself? What do you see when you look within? I remember hearing someone say, for every look within, you ought to have 10 looks without. Well, I'd say you hadn't, shouldn't really have any looks within <laughs> because it's all going to be uh, what it is. When you look within, you know what you see. When you look within, you see unbelief, you see sin, you see every unclean uh, thing in your heart that's what you see i love what uh, brother mahan said i've never forgotten this statement we're all three people every one of us we're three different people we're the ones we think we are that we're the one others think we are and we're the one god knows we are All things are naked and open with the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know, we can't see. He sees everything. We see so little. I love what Paul said when writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, we see through a glass darkly. Isn't that so? We see through a glass darkly. You know, one of the reasons why, there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't judge anybody. There's a lot of reasons. Now, when I'm saying that, don't 
somebody turn that around and say, well, when you're hearing a false gospel, you shouldn't be a judge. You ought to be judging that. Without question, you ought to be judging that. You ought to be taught of God and, and know the difference between the true and the false. But as far as judging someone, what they're doing, you and I don't really know the facts with regard to any case, with regard to what anybody's going through. That's why there's a lot of other reasons not to judge, but here's one. You don't know the facts. You don't know what that person's going through. You don't know what's brought all this on. And you and I are incapable of making an accurate judgment about anything in that sense. But God sees everything. All things are naked and open with the one with whom we have to do. Think of this scripture. You know, I quote this, I bet, once a week. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. God sees not the way we see. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And God saw. Now remember, he sees. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart. Not even talking about the actions now. Talking about what goes on on the inside. This is what God sees when he looks into the heart of every natural man, me and you included. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now you and I can't look at somebody and see that. We know it's true because God said it, but we can't look at somebody and say everything going on in their heart is only evil continually. You know why we can't? Say that, except for God said it, because we can't see. I can't see into your heart, and you can't see into mine. But God does. And he knows that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. Verse 13 of our text, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, that would terrify me if I didn't know the gospel. That would absolutely terrify me. But let me remind you, God sees things as they are. Not like you and I. We're in a fog all the time anyway, and we can't see things as they are. But God does. All things. That covers everything. All things are naked and open with the eye of him with whom we have to do. Now, what I want to do is give you some scriptures that speak of God's sight. I'm not going to make a lot of comment on any of them. I'm just going to give them to you and maybe... Um, make a few comments. But here's the first one I want to give. The Lord looked at the Pharisees and he said, you are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knows your heart. For that which is highly esteemed in the sight of men is an abomination in the sight of God. 
And whatever it is that men highly esteem, I don't care what it is. You can take that in so many different directions, but our Lord lets us know whatever's highly esteemed among men, it's an abomination in God's sight. Acts chapter 4, verse 19, Peter and John answered and said, these people that told them to quit preaching the gospel, if it be right in the sight of God, if it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God judge ye, for we cannot speak but the things which we've seen and heard. Now, you be the judge. You know that it's right only to speak what God says and obey him rather than what you say. Acts chapter 8, verse 21. Peter said to Simon, Magus, thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, everybody was impressed with Simon Magus. He promoted himself to be some great one. And many followed him and was impressed with him. But God saw his heart. You see, he thought the gift of God could be bought. That's exposed the state of his heart. That exposed what a low view he had of God that he could give something that God would take for payment and what a high view he had of himself and his own payment and his own ability. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Has your mouth ever been stopped? All excuses gone. You stand before God guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. There's the important place, in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. 1 Corinthians 1, 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence, and that's the same word as in his sight. God's not going to have any flesh glorying, taking credit for anything in his sight. Now, somebody says, why is God like that? Because he's holy. That's the best answer I can give. Because he's altogether lovely. Because he's glorious. Because he's God over all, blessed forever. And it's right that God should be however he is. And he doesn't conform to some standard of right. He is right. And whatever he does is right. No flesh is going to glory in his presence. I love this, Ephesians 1, 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. That's the same Greek word in his sight. Now, where do I trace me 
being holy and without blame to his purpose, his grace. And if he purposes me and chooses me to be holy and without blame in his sight, that's the fact. I am holy and without blame in his sight. Now, let me remind you, you look at yourself, you don't see anything like that, but God sees things accurately. You don't. He does. Second Timothy 4.2, Paul's charge to Timothy was in God's sight, preach the word. I charge thee in the sight of God, preach the word. You know, in preaching, I want you to be blessed. I want you to enjoy the preaching of the word. I, I want you to be pleased with what you hear. I would be lying if I said I was indifferent about what anybody in this room thought about the preaching of the word because I'm not indifferent about it. But I know this. I care much more about what he hears than what you hear. And really, you wouldn't want to hear me if I didn't feel that way, would you? You wouldn't want to hear me. This is similar. Second Corinthians 2.17, Paul said, In the sight of God speak we in Christ. Now that's in true preaching. The preaching of the word, it's in God's sight. And the only thing that will keep somebody from being controlled by the fear of man in this thing of preaching is the fear of God. We preach in his sight. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21 says, he works in us. You hear that? He works in us. That which is well-pleasing in his sight. Now that takes all the pressure off, doesn't it? He works in us. Oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't want anything else. He works in us. That which is well-pleasing in his sight. That, that desire you have to know the Lord, he worked that in you. That desire you have to be found in Christ, he worked that in you. That desire you have to glorify him, he worked that in you. He works that which is well-pleasing in his sight. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of God. You know, I, I, we all find it offensive when somebody acts humble. <laughs> when it's an act. Let's be humble, let's... But oh, when you humble yourself in his sight, this is not about men saying anything. You humble yourself in his sight that he may exalt you in due time. 1 Peter 3, 4. Peter speaks of the hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. And I know why Peter said that. This hidden man of the heart is somebody, me and you really don't see. We know he's there because the word of God says he is, but we don't see him. He's the hidden man of the heart, the new man, the new creature in Christ Jesus. The hidden man of the heart in which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek 
and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. And this is the spirit I want to have, this meek and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight of great price. Colossians 1.22, Christ is said to present his bride. This is a presentation he's going to make before his father. He's going to present his bride holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now let me remind you, If God, in his sight, I am holy and unblameable and unreprovable, there's only one reason. Because I am, in fact, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in the very sight of God. Now, that's how real justification is. Uh, You know, I I hate it when... uh, uh, Preachers talk about justification. They say, well, it's a forensic term. You know, that's not in the Bible. Justification is a forensic term. No, justification means I'm sinless. Means I'm holy. Means I'm unblameable. Means I'm unreprovable. When God looks at me, this is who he sees, one who is holy and unblameable and unreprovable. Now, remember, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This is how he sees every one of his children. And how he sees is how it is. Revelation chapter 14 verse 5 speaks of those who are without fault before. Same word in the sight of. Those who are without fault in the sight of the throne of God. In Revelation 20, we read these words with regard to the great white throne judgment. That judgment that you and I will be there. You and I will be there. There's only one judgment. It's described in Revelation chapter 20 as the great white throne judgment. We'll be there. And we read these words. John says, and I saw the dead small and great, before or in the sight of God. I saw the dead, small and great, presidents and paupers, uh, kings and slaves. They all stand in God's sight. And the scripture says, and the books were opened. Every sin ever committed is written down in that book. Now somebody says, how is that possible? I don't know, but it is. It is. And the dead were judged from those things that were written in those books. The books were opened and they all stood and were judged before or in the sight of God. But the scripture says... There was another book opened. There was another book opened. The book of life. 
the book with the names having been written, viewed in the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And they were judged out of that book. No sin. Jude 24. Now unto him that's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence. That means in his sight. Same thing. Now unto him that's able to present you, keep you from falling, and to present you faultless in his sight before his presence. Here's the reality of the gospel. God, who sees all, all things are naked and opened with the eyes of him whom we, with whom we have to do. He sees all. And you know what he sees with regard to every believer? He sees no sin. You see it. He doesn't. Why? Because it's gone. Now once in the end of the world have he appeared Put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And to them that look for him shall he appear. How? Without sin. It's gone unto salvation. Now isn't that a glorious passage of scripture with regard to the word of God? The word of God is quick, living, powerful, Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And of the joints and the marrow. And it's a discerner. Of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open. And... If I didn't know the gospel, like I said, that would terrify me. But he who can see things as they are, he sees no sin. And it's because there is no sin. All things are naked and open with the one in whom we have to do. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for your word. It's so glorious. How we thank you for your written word. How we thank you for the living word, thy blessed son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our salvation. And how we thank you for the word preached from your word that reveals the living word. The word that you breathe on and give life to. Lord, Hide your word. Cause us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. Bless this word for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray.